Hey everyone, and welcome to the Narration by George podcast, the podcast on audiobooks, spiritual ideas, and other items of interest. Today is podcast number 97, and we're continuing our look at the book of Ephesians, as well as a look at a uh, an audiobook we haven't visited in a while. We're going to be in chapter 2 of Ephesians in a few minutes. In the first chapter of the book, we took a look at the blessings that God offers to us through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm not going to enumerate those blessings here now, but please go back and check the previous two podcasts as we talked about the these blessings. We also said that God has revealed a great mystery, the greatest mystery of all time, that God will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. We said that this points to the fact that Jesus, the Christ, will be in charge of everything. Now, what does that mean for us? Paul explains that if we have been united in Christ, we are part of this mystery and receive an inheritance from the very creator of the universe. Furthermore, we have a guarantee, a seal from God that this will happen. That guarantee is the Holy Spirit living in us, the power of God living inside each believer who has been united in Christ. Now, Paul goes on in chapter 2 to not only hammer this point, but also to make another one, which is equally important. Let's start by looking at the first 10 verses of chapter 2. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loves us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Paul starts out reminding all of us who have been united in Christ from where we have come. We were dead. Dead because we disobeyed God and ignored his commands. We looked like and lived like everyone else in the world. And Paul reminds us that that was when we were obeying the devil. You know, some people think that the devil is a made-up creature. But nothing could be further from the truth. 
Paul calls the devil the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Furthermore, Paul says the devil works in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So it sounds to me like we have a choice. We can allow the devil to live in and control our hearts, refusing to obey God, or we can be united with Christ and enjoy the power of the Holy Spirit to run our lives. Our choice. We could be as the message describes us, doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, or we could be those who obey God. Paul says that when we choose not to obey God, we are subject to God's anger. Is that how you want your life to be lived, subject to the anger of God? You don't have to look very far into the Old Testament to find out what that might look like. Adam and Eve thrown out of paradise, Sodom and Gomorrah burned alive, the world drowned by water. You may not see God's anger shown in that way now, but God is still angry about sin. But, Paul says... God is so rich in mercy and loved us so much. Now, let's stop right there, because what he's saying is this. The God who is so rich in mercy, the God who says, I know you've messed up, but it's okay. The God who says, I love you, that God who loves us even when we don't love him, that God gave us life. We were dead because of our disobedience to God. We didn't love God. We defied God. But he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. In the message, Eugene Peterson translates it or puts it this way. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. We are saved only because of what God has done, not because of anything we have done. Some people believe, and many major religions teach, that you can only gain God's favor by doing good things. Buddhism teaches no one saves us but ourselves. Muslims believe that the treatment of the individual in the life of the grave will be according to his or her deeds in the worldly life. That is not what we see in this teaching. We see a merciful, loving God who reaches down, bringing us to life when he brings Jesus to life. Again, from the message, Peterson words it this way, saving is all God's idea, and all God's work. All we do is trust God enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. When we are united in Christ, we haven't done anything but put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We certainly didn't deserve it, and we certainly can't earn it. God saves us by grace when we believe. Then, after that, after we are saved, then the works set in. We work for Jesus 
because we have been saved, not in order to be saved. Let me say that again. We work for Jesus because we have been saved, not in order to be saved. What I do in the name of Jesus has no effect on my salvation. I am saved because I have put my trust and faith in Jesus. No other reason. For me, that is really, really good news. Let's take a break and talk about some audiobooks for a moment. Uh, many of the books I've produced have some kind of Christian element to them. In this series on Ephesians, we've looked at two books with overtly Christian themes, Miracles by Joni Heilman and The Swaddling Clothes by Amber Shamel. Both books are still available, and uh, both are still well worth a listen. This episode, I want to focus on an older release called Seasons of Change by Michael Gardner. It's the story of a broken society. The government has broken down. Gangs have taken over the rule of society. Things are not good. The gangs are enslaving the population to farm for food, to exchange for drugs. But food is not available for the general population. Law and order is broken down. So a lot of people are running away. They're trying to leave town. Our main character, Michael, has started out to do the same thing. However, people have kind of joined with him and are attracted to him, and many have stumbled upon his encampment out of town. Michael is a committed Christian, and he uses the principles he finds in the Bible to manage his camp. Take a listen. With the food problem on its way to being solved, Michael decided he needed some time alone to think. He whistled for Molly, went to his tent, picked up his Bible and headed for a secluded spot he had found close to the camp. As the road above the camp came around and down the hill, it crossed a bridge over Peavine Creek. High water coming under the bridge had washed out a small alcove in the bank, and the sides made a natural bench. Molly liked it because the moist dirt floor of the alcove was cool and a good place to take a nap on a hot day. It had been dry lately, so the bench was not as cool as it usually was, but it had other benefits. The formation of the walls was a natural buffer to sound, so no matter how much noise the camp was making, it would remain quiet. The bench made it possible to forget for a little while that the camp was too noisy. He worried that they could be detected at any time. He found himself constantly getting onto campers and their kids for being too noisy lately. As he approached his hideaway, he made a middle note to talk to the others again about quieting the camp. They needed to know that they must not be noticed by passing patrols. Michael sat on the bench and tried to let go of all his thoughts of the camp. He let his Bible fall open and absently flipped the pages, reading the summary line at the top of each page. He had flipped a dozen or so pages in Exodus when it hit him. Jethro's counsel to Moses. He turned back to the beginning of the chapter and began to read. Molly, Michael said softly as he continued to read. Molly raised her head to look at him, and he continued. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought the family to see Moses in his camp. What I wouldn't give for such a visit. What do you think, girl? Would you like the whole family to walk into camp and ask how we're doing? In the Bible, they all went to Moses' camp and spent the whole day hugging and kissing. 
Well, Moses had it a lot worse than we do, so we can't begrudge him a little happiness, can we? Michael was sure that he saw Molly roll her eyes at him. He grinned at the thought that Molly would think he was crazy. Michael read on in silence for a little while, then said, "'Listen to this, girl. Jethro chewed Moses out for trying to do everything himself. He told him that not only would the people suffer, but he would wear away.' Wear away, that's an interesting way to put it. I think I had about five pounds worn away today. He looked at Molly, who cocked her head as if she did not understand. He was wearing himself out, and he would not be any use to anyone when he was all used up. Come on, girl, keep up, Molly snorted and lay back down to signify she was through with this conversation. Michael ignored her response and asked his dog anyway. Is this written to us or what? Don't you see, girl? Our camp is coming apart at the seams. There are just too many people coming, and sooner or later we will lose control if we don't get our act together. We need a system, and I'm remembering Moses' system. Moses broke the people up into small groups. He called it rulers of ten, rulers of fifty, rulers of a hundred, and so on. It's the same as in accounting, only we call it duplication of success. You develop a small unit that functions efficiently with a small profit margin. Then instead of adding people to the unit, you duplicate it. And with each unit copied, you duplicate the profit. Doing that way, you can grow as large as you want, because each unit takes care of itself and does not look outside the unit for instructions. One guy couldn't micromanage the work of thousands, but control the pattern and communicate with the leadership of each unit, and you, one guy, could control the camp in every way necessary for their survival. Molly girl, I love it when a plan comes together. Thank you, Jethro. I needed that. He leaned back and rubbed his chin while he considered what he had read. Rulers of tens, rulers of fifties, rulers of hundreds, and please, not rulers of thousands— he sat forward and said, "'Don't you see, girl, that if I break everyone up and assign them to a unit, then I can talk to the leader of the unit, and they can pass on what needs to be done to those in their unit. We could call the groups of ten families, and we could combine the five to ten families a clan, and then we could divide the clans up into tribes when needed.' Then if I have the heads of families elect a representative for their clan, I can talk to a lot of people just by talking to one elected leader. If I bring all the leaders together in a council, the whole camp is represented by a handful of people and the information will flow downhill. We can do this, Molly. Michael got up and started pacing as he worked out the details in his mind. Molly waited patiently until Michael set off and then followed close behind. One reviewer writes that this is a book with suspense, geography, strategy of warfare, friendships, leadership, and spiritual truth. Be ready. <laughs> Seasons of Change is available at audible.com and in the iTunes store. You can find links to these sites on my website. That's narrationbygeorge.com slash books. At the top of this page, you'll find the icon for this book, Click on that icon to be linked to the page for the book, and you'll find the links for your favorite places to purchase. By the way, if you're not an Audible.com subscriber and you want to become one, Seasons of Change can be your free book. It's a great way to get audiobooks for regular 
listening. Let's go back to Ephesians now. We closed with the news, the good news of salvation, that it is a gift that is not dependent upon my good deeds, just on my belief in and acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. Then Paul shifts gears. He takes a few minutes to talk to some outsiders. Now, in Paul's day, the Gentiles were the outsiders. They were not Jewish. They were looked down upon by the Jews. The Jews had a special relationship with God, and they treasured that relationship. Now, Paul says, all of that has changed. The Gentiles, he says, get to enjoy that relationship, too. Let's read the rest of the chapter. I'm starting in verse 11, and again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ." For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups." Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. Have you ever thought of Jesus as the great uniter? That's what Paul says he is. He describes the Gentiles just like he describes everyone at the top of the chapter. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. So does that sound like your church? I hope so. You know, every church I've been a part of has been made up of all different kinds of people— Black, brown, white, poor, rich, middle class, educated, uneducated, old, young, and middle-aged, people interested in this thing and others interested in something else. 
Some churches had more of a mixture of people than others, but we all came together and worked together because we have this commonality, Jesus Christ. We all come to the Father through the same Spirit because of what Jesus has done for us. This makes all of us equal before the throne of God. This makes us all citizens of God's kingdom and members of God's family. This makes us all part of the house of God, joined in Jesus, based on Jesus, and alive because of Jesus. Jesus is the great unifier, not a divider. Through Jesus, God invites us to join him and share in the blessings, the great spiritual blessings he has prepared for us. So the question is, are you united with Jesus? You know, when the first sermon was preached in Jerusalem after Jesus was raised from the dead, the very people who heard that sermon were some of the ones responsible for Jesus' death. They had heard the Apostle Peter proclaim to them in that sermon that Jesus was alive, as was predicted by the Scriptures. These people heard the love of God, the power of God reaching down to them, and they begged of Peter, brothers, what should we do? Now, that's all of us. When we're convicted of something, we want to do something about it. Yeah, we now believe, and now we know we were wrong, and now we know we need to proclaim to the world our new position before God. So Peter responded with this. He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So the question remains, are you united with Jesus? That's our time for this week. Your comments are always welcome. Feel free to write to me via email or message me on Twitter or Facebook. My email is george at narrationbygeorge.com. On Facebook, you can find me by searching Narration by George. Or on Twitter, I'm known as Narration by Geo. The website is narrationbygeorge.com. I've got more podcasts, some wonderful audiobooks, and amazing photographs all in that one spot, narrationbygeorge.com. Join me there, won't you? In two weeks, we'll take a look at the third chapter of Ephesians. We'll take a look at another audiobook. I hope to see you then. In the meantime, God has been good to you. He has blessed you. Share that blessing with someone else. See you in two weeks. Thank you.